I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. Today on the show, I'm talking with Jason, the founder and CEO of Casamara, a botanical soda line for a refreshing, non-alcoholic sip. After making the move to Detroit, Jason began experimenting with bitters to create leisure sodas for a new type of happy hour. We explore the boom of the mocktail industry, scaling during COVID, and the importance of interacting with your customers as a founder. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, where are you from originally? Uh, So I grew up outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Um, kind of near the like that notch at the top of Connecticut along the Massachusetts border. Um, yeah, I was I was there for most of my life. Uh, lived in New York City for about eight years, and then um, ended up out here in Detroit. What What brought you to D- Detroit originally? Ooh, so. It's a big question. I think a lot of things brought me to Detroit, but the, I would say the most important thing that brought me here is that I had visited a bunch. I started to get a, I don't know, call it a really good vibe uh, from the sort of creative, artistic, entrepreneurial culture out here that this was a place for I don't know, people to come and experiment and try weird things and pursue ideas that maybe wouldn't be able to fly in a city like New York or Chicago or LA or San Francisco, where the where the rent is just too high. Um, the this sort of like need to create a return on investment immediately a bit too strong. Um, yeah, Detroit has this really cool supportive community that I felt like, A, cost of living is a lot lower, but B, um, just a really accepting place, um, the kind of place that I think, you know, eight years into living in New York City, I never really felt like I could call myself a New Yorker. I never really felt like I was totally part of that culture. Um, But after just four or so years in Detroit, um, I don't know. I, I already feel like I'm I'm more a part of a community here than than I ever was in in New York. That's awesome. I've always found the like uh, opportunity aspect of De- Detroit so interesting. It definitely it, it draws in a really um, just a fun, interesting, creative crowd for for exactly that reason. What uh What were you doing professionally before starting the brand? I was a lawyer. Um, so my time in New York was pretty much split uh, three years in law school and then about five or so years, a um, little bit longer than that, working as a lawyer. Um, and so my job for most of that time, for about you know four or five of those years, I was representing startups in the food and beverage industry. And so that's kind of how I got 
just introduced to the whole concept of like what it what it takes to to start a beverage company when you moved to detroit were you thinking of starting a brand at that point i was yeah that was um a lot of the impetus was i'm a lawyer in new york and if i quit my job and i lose that income um am i going to be able to maintain really any kind of lifestyle um without I would say without building a product and a brand around that sort of return on investment thing. Um, like there were there are versions of Casamara Club and this brand that we discussed that I think could be, you know, like I would say maybe more more broadly appealing. Um but I don't know, it, it never really interested me to do that. Um, I think the reason that I wanted to get out of uh, being a lawyer in the first place uh, is that I started to see what happens when the strings of all that, um, when all those strings are attached to like investment money and um, trying to build something to sell on a really tight timeline. And um, I think I would have pretty quickly found myself feeling like I was working for somebody else. Uh, and and for me, so much of the goal was to, I don't know, follow, follow my own curiosity, my own interests, and, and just do something, do something kind of weird and fun. What was the original idea for the brand? knowing that it wasn't like uh based on all all on uh scaling something that rapidly yeah so the initial idea hit me um after i had i had been kicking around the idea of of starting an amaro company um like these italian sort of old school botanical spirits um i think they've become a lot more popular in the last few years but I think a lot of folks still are a little bit like, what's that? Maybe I've heard that term. Maybe I've seen it on a cocktail menu. Um, and that seemed like kind of a fun way to do something creative, make something old, new again. Um, but to be completely honest, I started learning about all the hoops that you have to jump through with the TTB and just dealing with um, alcoholic beverage laws in this country. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do alcohol. <laughs> Um, and so that is around when, like, meanwhile, at work, just about every day, um, I, I don't know if you've got any rituals like this. I feel like everybody's got their version of, of what I'm about to, to describe, but every day around four or five o'clock, I would go to the kitchen, um, like the shared kitchen in the office. Um, I guess that's not as relatable anymore, but, um, <laughs> like putter around for a minute and see what was in the fridge. I would usually end up grabbing like a flavored seltzer. Um, and at some point it just crossed my mind of, of like, this doesn't taste very good. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I found myself looking at like, you know, we had a, a little liquor cabinet, um, 
in the office as well. And I would look at that and I would say, look at all of this great stuff that you could use to make an absolutely delicious cocktail right now. But if I want to drink something non-alcoholic, it's either going to be boring and flavorless or it's going to be, you know, so packed full of like weird functional ingredients that don't really taste great, that need to be masked with fake sugar and like just all this stuff that kind of creeped me out a bit. Um, and yeah, I don't know. One day I was out at a bar and a friend ordered a, a bitters and soda um, when they weren't drinking. And that is sort of when it all clicked for me. Um, like that is sort of an more elegant, elevated way of making a non-alcoholic drink at a bar. It's super easy. It's a couple dashes of bitters. Usually like you might squeeze a lime in there or a lemon. Um, my interest in Amaro kind of coincided because they have a very similar um, production process. The way you make Amaro steeping botanicals is very similar to the way that you make bitters steeping botanicals. Um, it's really just a matter of of concentration. And so it all started to mm, congeal really into this, um, I don't know, kind of strange and beautiful thing that really only made sense to me. I had a really hard time learning how to talk about it. Um, like it was probably uh, about a year um, from when the idea first like sparked in my head until I was actually out on the street handing out samples to, to bars and restaurants. And I mean, those, those first few conversations were, they were just, they were uncomfortable. People didn't know what I was talking about. They didn't understand why anybody would want a, like a good non-alcoholic drink. Um, I think that's a much easier sell now. I think we've all um, seen those things like bubble up and like dry January and, and all of this stuff um, that has sort of brought that need to, I don't know, a bit more to the forefront. Like people take it seriously now. Um, but at the time it felt like the weirdest thing ever. And uh, did did you start working on the like product formulations before you left your job and had moved out to Detroit? Um, I what happened? So or maybe, it, or maybe it was the reverse. Maybe you like made the jump, moved, and then started. Yeah. So I had um in my New York apartment um pretty much an entire coat closet dedicated to I just had jars and jars of like tinctures extracts all different stuff everything from you know like orange peels to mugwort um just this really wide range of different flavors that I could use and I had started mixing and matching and playing around um but in my move to Detroit the entire no not the entire but pretty much all of my collection uh, just went missing. It's just <laughs> like somebody picked it up off the street or something. I still don't know exactly what happened, um, but that did kind of force me to start over and, and start thinking, I would say a bit more 
maybe a, a little bit less about home production and a little bit more about, well, if two years of work at home just sort of like disappeared, um, maybe it's time to start figuring out like, like what would this look like um, to create something that's a bit more scalable? Um, and so that is when I started, I'd say like delving into the world of, of like how to, how to beverages get flavored. Um, and that's probably, I think that's fall of, of 2017. Um, so a few months after I quit my job is when that process started. And how, uh, how did you initially launch? Like, did you, was the plan to get samples and take it to bars and restaurants and try and figure out if there was a market? Pretty much. Yeah, we did a, um, I think we did a run of, it might've been about 2000 bottles, um, which like in a case of 24, oh, it might've been, oh, it must've been less than that. Um, I'm pretty sure I got like 30 cases of soda. Um, we had two of our flavors that I, that I had kind of finished and we bottled them up um, I printed out labels at, uh, I don't know, one of those like FedEx Kinko's type shops on just like <laughs> mailing envelope labels. <laughs> and I, um, yeah, spent an entire summer. So this is, we're now in summer of 2018, um, driving around Detroit, handing out bottled samples. Um, and I mean, I think it's, partially because the labels <laughs> were not great in those early days. Um, and partially because I, I think people just weren't really clear that there was a market for what we were doing. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, a summer of, of interesting learning, I'll say. What did you, what did you feel like was the best uh, learning aspect from that time that helped you like really launch the brand in a, meaningful way i i think what i was trying to to learn and what was like most important to me as i was taking around those early samples was just watching everybody's reactions listening to what they said and trying to get a sense not not just of like do they like it or don't they like it but who likes it? What do those people say about it? And when people don't like it, what are their reactions? And so I would say one thing that I, I got to learn pretty early on is that we had to be really careful setting expectations around how sweet the drink would be. Um, I think, you know, we, we use like about a, a teaspoon of sugar um, compared to, I think most, uh, like a Coca-Cola, most traditional sodas would do about 10 or 11 teaspoons. Um, if you want to like, just think about it in terms of gr granulated sugar, like we use fancier stuff, uh, <laughs> than that, but yeah. that's, I think for me, the easiest way to think about it. Um, 
And so I was never really comfortable saying, well, this is a seltzer because I think of seltzer as being, you know, zero calorie, um, just soda water, maybe some flavor. Um, but describing it as a, a soda, I think really confused people because they expected something 10 times sweeter. Um, and so it was sort of during that first summer um, and into that fall when we started, I think it, it honestly started as a joke, um, but we started calling our drinks leisure sodas um, to create a little bit of distance between what we're doing and what everybody else is doing. Like, A, it sounds fun, leisure soda, but I think more importantly, it piques people's interests um, just by creating sort of your own little category, people have to ask the question. They have to ask, well, what's, what's that? What, like, what makes your sodas more leisurely than any other soda? And that was something that allowed us to, I think, have not just better conversations with people where we were explaining what we were doing um, in maybe more of a, a route where people felt more engaged, but it, it also let them get their own expectations set up right before they tasted anything. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that was, that was probably the most important thing I learned is just how to listen to feedback and how to incorporate that into our marketing. How did you end up financing getting the business off the ground during the early days? <laughs> um, <laughs> Man, I don't know if this is good advice to anybody um, because I just poured my life savings into it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, like so far so good, um, but it was, I don't know, it's, it's a scary thing to do. I, I spent, um, you know, my five years as a lawyer saving as much as I could because I knew that one day I would want to start something of my own. I knew that I would probably want to um, bootstrap it myself because I don't know. I uh, I figure if you're gonna do something on your own for yourself, it's it's really got to be for you. It, it can't be for anyone else. And so you know, over the years as we've grown and we've needed to like keep up with demand a little bit. Um, I've, I've been able to like bring in some friends and family, um, but it was really important to me to, to get it off the ground myself, like for the first year or, or 18 months before we, before we really started um, even thinking about bringing any other cooks into the kitchen. Um, that's not even the right metaphor. I wanted to be the only cook in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like scaling up in the early days, knowing that you financed it on your own? Oh, it was, um, honestly, it was awful. It was <laughs> like the, um, like I, I, I grew up um, with enough, like, like comfortably enough that I, I can't say that I was ever particularly like, I was never had to be too worried about money um, or like having a roof over my head or like getting food, like all of that was taken care of. And so 
to experience that for the first time at like 30 years old took a, I think it took a serious toll on me. Um, I mean, I'm also, I'm grateful for the, the experience. I, I think it gave me like a much better perspective on, I mean, not just like a much better perspective on, um, I don't know that that kind of insecurity and and what it can what it can do to people um because it was tough for me it was a lot of like sleepless nights it was a lot of um you know getting started with like talk therapy um it it was really tough how do you feel like uh and maybe it was just the business actually like growing to a point where things became sustainable but how do you feel like you yeah, I guess one way was talk therapy. I'm just curious, like, how did you manage not only getting through that, but also like having a good mindset about building a business during such strain? Because a lot of people would just go get a job or, you know, like abandon their vision at the hardest points. Yeah, I... um that's a good question. I I know I spent a lot of time outside. Um, it's still important to me. Um, like whether it's just, you know, take like I just before before our conversation, I just went out for a walk, despite the fact that it's I think it's like 20 degrees in Detroit right now and it was absolutely freezing. But I know it's important to my own mental health to like get outside, even if it's just a walk around my neighborhood. Um, when the weather's better, um, you know, it could mean sitting outside with a book um, or it could mean, you know, going to a park and, and walking around. But I have found that that kind of like being in nature, shutting off my phone, um, you know, uh, like actually listening to the world around me and like paying attention to my surroundings, um, kind of like mindfulness practices, that sort of thing, um, has been super helpful for me. What, what were some of the like key turning points that f felt like really got momentum behind what you were building? Did, did the distribution channel of going into restaurants and bars end up being what really like took off over time yeah so that was always um that was always the plan um was let's make this something that bars and restaurants are gonna want um and so you know in so fall like end of 2018 around november is when we finally bottled our first like We've got the labels, we've got all four flavors. Um, and I, I think over the course of about three months or so, built up, um, I think I built up an account list of maybe 20 or 30 spots that were buying around Detroit. Um, and I found a, really through that process that we were talking about earlier of like talking to people, asking for feedback, um, was able to identify who the best distributor for us was gonna be. I reached out to them, um, M4CIC, they're a craft beer distributor. Um, 
that services pretty much all of Michigan. Um, but they didn't have any non-alcoholic drinks in their portfolio. Um, and so it was an interesting conversation, but I was able to, to go to them and say, hey, look, I know that this sounds crazy, but I've already got, you know, 20, 25 people, 25 accounts um, buying this thing. Um, it's whether you see it or not, um, this is a thing that's happening. People want better non-alcoholic drinks and a craft beer distributor in, in my eyes, um, I, and I still believe this, is kind of the best um, channel for something like what we do because they are constantly getting new things. They are the, the kind of person who can sell craft beer is the kind of person that can learn about new production methods, new flavors, new concepts, new styles um, every week. And um, articulate an excitement about that to, um, to their customers. And so being something kind of weird out there, new, made me feel like, you know what, they have that skill set. They know how to talk about the weird things that people don't even know that they want yet. Um, and so was able to sign on with them in February 2019. Um, and right around then, actually a month earlier, was sort of like the other big turning point for us. Um, that was when, so Erica, who is now our head of production, um, she and I pretty much run the business together. Uh, she joined up with me on, like we got a coffee on New Year's Day 2019. And that was when we decided like, we're, we're gonna do this. Um, we know what we have to do in order to like be successful in our own eyes. Um, and for me, that has been really like the only time when I felt like, yeah, like we're bringing in another cook to the kitchen. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was, I think, probably the biggest most important turning point not least because like we didn't really have any sales yet there was no security um you know she she kind of came on before uh before it was cool so to speak um and so yeah that i, th I think those two partnerships really um, with our Michigan distributor and with Erica is what really started to make me feel like, oh, like I'm, I'm doing a real thing. Um, this isn't just me operating in a vacuum. There are real people out there um, whose opinions I trust that I feel, um, I don't know, supported by. That's awesome. <clears throat> What was it like scaling up the business once you got the distributor? Did that, uh, and then where did your focus shift knowing that you weren't spending as much time on the sales side of things? Yeah, so let's see, what did 2019 look like? 2019 was, <laughs> we lived in a different world then. Um, the way that sort of the, that trajectory went from, 
bringing on a Michigan distributor was then I was able to go out and say, okay, here are the, I don't know if it's 20, 30, 100 brands that they carry, but like, here's the list. Here are the ones that I feel most associated with. Now I'm going to go find who distributes all of those products in every other state that we want to be. Um, and so I was able to, some of the best advice I got um, starting the business uh, was from one of my old clients who said, one of the most important things that you can do as a founder is be on the lookout for good news. Um, I think for a lot of effective founders, like your number one role is to be on the lookout for bad news so that you can like deal with it, get it out of the way. Um, but there is, it's even potentially even more important to look for the good news, find it and make sure that you're communicating that to people. Um, and so when we signed with our distributor in Michigan, I was able to go out and share that good news with distributors that we'd identified in, um, you know, states like California, New York, Illinois, Florida, um, and start building from there. Um, and so pretty quickly, one distributor became three, three became five, six, I think like, we saw a bit of a slowdown with that after COVID hit. Um, but I think these days we, we cover something like 14 or 15 states with wholesale distribution. Um, and all of those relationships really started from like, hey, here's, like, here's the good stuff that's, that's going on recently. Um, here's why we think that you might be a good fit for us. Um, and did you, end up, did you end up pivoting at all during the pandemic? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So going into the pandemic, um, I'd say about, you know, maybe 80 or so percent of our business was um, through distribution. Um, when the pandemic hit, that 80 got just cut in half. Um, so we had like 40% and 10% and then just nothing. Um, like our sales just plummeted. Um, and thankfully, we had always sort of looked at our online store as like a, eh, you know, this is good to have. It's going to be a nice tool for us to use to decide which um, which states to target next, like which distributors to find and which territories to cover. Um, and you know, after for a full year, I was packing and shipping every single order myself. Um, I would drive to our storage spot in Detroit, take whatever we needed to the UPS store. And I would spend like Friday afternoons every week, like getting to know the people who worked at the UPS store and packing up orders. Um, and it was only ooh, six or so months before the pandemic started that we were like, this is not sustainable. Like we probably don't have enough business to justify bringing on a 
somebody to like pack and ship for us but like we just have to hope that if we build it they will come um and so when covid hit and i think when a lot of people were suddenly a bit more open to the idea of buying online we already had the infrastructure we had just built it out and um you know we were lucky to we already had the relationships like we were we were exactly where we needed to be um when everything fell apart um and so yeah i think we were able to pivot in large part because we had you know spent that time kind of figuring out how to how to survive um and we just got lucky have you changed your um has your view of how you're going to grow the business changed since that's all unfolded and opened new opportunities yeah it it has um i think we now do about we're 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 about 50-50 um you know after the first few months uh after covid you know that 80-20 of wholesale online flipped to like 2080 um, we went from doing 80% wholesale to 80% online, and now we've finally leveled back out to, to 50, 50. And it, I'd say that it has, um, changed, I think how, how we feel like we need to grow because it's really nice to know that we don't have to be a hundred percent reliant on, on either channel um we can we can kind of pick our spots and say you know what like this month is going to be for figuring out online stuff and then maybe next month like we'll have an opportunity to to you know reach out to some new wholesalers and, and try to grow that way um but yeah having that sort of flexibility and i think ability to learn more about the end consumer and then loop that back to the wholesaler um, is, I don't know, I, I, think it's, I think it's been pretty, pretty interesting to be able to sort of like, um, I think give a lot of these wholesalers that we work with information that they wouldn't necessarily be privy to otherwise. Totally, I feel like the direct connection to people buying your product can only make the info you have better. Oh, absolutely. And that is, that's one of the things that, I mean, this is another time where I'll, I'll say, I don't know if this is good advice, um, but so far it's working for me. Um, I still run the social media. I'm still on all of the customer service emails um, because I want to know what, everybody is saying and thinking and I want to be at least a a part of sort of like these the you know almost call it like the hospitality of what we do I mean I I know it's become a bit of a um cliche to say that I think people more and more are valuing experiences over you know things um and in a sense, what we are selling is 
the experience. It's like, this is something that you can drink and still feel like you're part of the fun that like, it's a special occasion and you're not left out. Looking back since starting the brand, also knowing that you like launched a brand in a, I mean, you had experience in the industry from one side, but on the other hand, like you had never had experience building a company A and then B, a product or brand in that space. Um, looking back, is there any advice that you would give yourself that you feel like would maybe help or make things, uh, yeah, help, help you along the way, especially after like a career jump, uh, your life today probably looks so different from being a lawyer in New York city. It does. It, it looks really different. Um, and I think, I think the most, I think the best advice that I could, if I could go back and talk to myself then is like, just relax. Like you're, you're going to get there. Um, like <laughs> you, I, and I've heard this from, I don't know a single entrepreneur who, when I talk to them and they tell me like about the latest that's going on with them, I'm always like, wow, like that seems like that's really coming together fast. Every single entrepreneur I talk to says, oh no, it feels like forever. Um, and it's really hard to get that distance from myself and think about, you know, even just where we were three months ago versus now and the progress that we've made. Um, but especially in those early days, um, to have been able to get all of that together at all is a small miracle. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's just important to, for me to let myself like step back and appreciate it and not, not try to rush it because it's hard and it takes time and that's okay. If, if it didn't take time, like, what are we doing? Is it really worth it in the first place? Totally. I feel like that's the advice I would give myself at every stage of life. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. to relax. <laughs> yep. But also sucks that I literally can't remember it in the moment. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to, to find that, like, I don't know, um, galaxy brain. Um, but who knows? Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe that is like, Another thing is just like you need you need to find a community. You need to find other people who can tell you those things because you're not always going to be able to tell yourself. I totally agree. Are, is there anything that you have coming up that you're like super excited about for the brand in 2022? Oh God, yeah. So um, Erica, our head of production, um, has been working for two years maybe longer, um, on her own leisure sodas um, and trying to figure out, you know, in the same way that I created something that felt like really personal to me, um, she's created something that's like super personal to her. And this month, like right now, um, we are 
like packing up and shipping and getting orders delivered of her new sodas, um, which are a bit outside of that um, Amaro concept, something I think that is going to be a little bit more accessible, more inclusive. Like she created this, um, we're calling it our mellow ginger uh, that is... Oh, it's so good. It's kind of um, it's kind of a riff on a dark and stormy, like rum and ginger beer, but done in a way that feels, I think, like a lot less angry than any ginger beer I've ever had. Um, like non-alcoholic, like all of our stuff, um, but just like absolutely delicious. Uh, she did a strawberry soda, like a floral strawberry soda that when she first told me about it, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but <laughs> that's okay. Go for it. And I still remember the first time I tasted it, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever drank. Every time I pick it up now, I find something different to appreciate about it. It is like the most like precise, delicate, enigmatic, strawberry, <laughs> like red drink soda i i've ever experienced and so that is what i'm excited about is just tasting somebody else's drinks um and uh, opening up the i think opening it up a little bit um making something that i think is going to be a bit more i don't know accessible for people congrats on everything i love i love the brand i'm excited to try the product too Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. We're, we'll, I'll make sure that we got some headed your way. Red, 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 red.